folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind, when you want to hit the reset button. Reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hello, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics. Matthew Collar here and new on Purple Insider, Sam Ekstrom, who has now joined Purple Insider, both here on the podcast and Purple Insider, the website. You can go to purpleinsider.substack.com to see his first article there. He will be on multiple times a week. We'll be doing roundtables with other journalists and taking Purple Insider to the next level. Sam, how are you? And uh, congratulations on your new gig joining me. I appreciate it. I do I have to call you boss now when yes. I join Mr. Yes. Collar. During every show, Mr. Collar will work. Thank you. Um coach. You, someone, call me coach. Coach Collar. Uh somebody <laughs> pointed out on Twitter that you expanded your the size of the company by 100 percent So that's that's got to feel good. And props to you, man, for building this thing out in a way that we could join forces. Uh, this is gonna be a ton of fun. And the reaction yesterday was was really, really cool to see all the people that are pumped for you and pumped to hear us together. Um, we've dabbled, you know, doing these podcasts uh, here and there, but it's going to be fun to do it on a regular basis, man. This uh, this is a good thing. Well, I just want to say before we get into it, uh, the reason that I wanted you to join and I jumped at the first chance that I could to bring you aboard to Purple Insider is because of how great your work is, Sam. Like you were doing a tremendous podcast and um, you were grinding out on the beat every day, every Zoom call, road trips, all those things, standing around in the locker room for hours on end as we do sometimes. And uh, that grind is not always easy. And you um, put in so much effort to it and you have creativity. And I just felt like um, there are a few people that are as multi-talented and that a few people that I would want working alongside me here at Purple Insider. So it's a big compliment to your work. And also I needed someone who will disagree with me sometimes on stuff. So that's another reason to yeah. bring you aboard. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the kind words from you and all of our listeners and readers. And I've said some nice things about you, but I feel like it's been a little too civil. We need to disagree and argue about some stuff now. So let's get contentious. Yeah. Usually those things happen on the golf course where we're arguing about the Vikings while shanking golf balls into the woods. So let's get right to it and talk about Devonte Smith, because this is a big event today. Not only you joining purple insider, but we have a legitimate credible mock draft that is giving the Minnesota Vikings 
wide receiver three. That is Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, a guy who is as dialed in as anyone in the NFL doing his 2.0 mock. And Devontae Smith, the Alabama wide receiver, in his mock drops to number 14 and the Minnesota Vikings take him. And to me, I just looked around and said, welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the wide receiver three train. And I know, I know what everyone's thinking, Sam. They're thinking if they don't get a guard, if they don't get a defensive lineman, I'm going to climb to the tallest building in the twin cities and jump off. And I get that. I get that. But I think that there's always been a case for this. There's statistical evidence that this is necessary to be a great offense, which we'll talk about. And this is a prospect who did special things in college. And once upon a time, the Minnesota Vikings drafted a wide receiver when they didn't necessarily need a wide receiver. And it worked out pretty, pretty good. So give me your reaction because you know that I like this and I have liked this idea for a long time. And I have been banging the table for this for several years to improve at that position. But give me your reaction to Daniel Jeremiah mocking Devontae Smith to the Vikings. Well, first of all, maybe we can crowdsource this. I'd like to to find out the last time the Vikings had like a viable, productive wide receiver three. I mean, I think some people might say Jerry is right, but he was never utilized enough. And that's kind of been the problem in the Zimmer era is they just don't use three wide receivers a lot. And we'll get into how that maybe plays into this decision. Um, I love Devontae Smith. I don't think there's really a lot of knocks on him other than his stature. He's, you know, smaller he's 170 pounds probably needs to bulk up um and got hurt in the national championship game where he was incredible and i'm like a lot of people who maybe didn't watch every alabama game but then tuned in to the postseason and saw what he did in the national championship game and saw him put up 215 yards in like one half sort of a tyreek hill versus the bucks type performance um in against ohio state in the title game so I think he's incredible. I think he's good out of the slot. I think he's good wide. I think, you know, kind of Jefferson, like in that way, not as big as Jefferson, but good hands, good route running. He's pretty much the whole package, except he's maybe a, what, 20 pounds lighter than you'd want. Um, I don't know if that's a reason to knock him down to even 14. Like if I'm the NFL, I'm looking at Devonte Smith and saying, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're talking about him as the third or fourth wide receiver. Um, you know, if he slips to 10 or 11 or 12, I feel like he's going to get snatched up, but, but let's talk about the Vikings in this particular situation. There is a difference between what they should do and what they will do, right? Like Daniel Jeremiah is making a, a logical recommendation of what they should do to get the most out of this already good offense. Do you think caller that they're actually going to shift philosophies that they're going to embrace a three wide receiver offense because you're not demoting Thielen and you're not demoting Jefferson. So if you draft a wide receiver in the first round, and I agree that they should use more three wide receivers, I'm on board with that. But with Clint Kubiak coming in, do you see him and the Vikings like willingly changing their system um, to go away from tight ends, to go away from a fullback a little bit more? Is that realistic in your mind? No, but 
it should be. And maybe if it's going to be realistic, it will be realistic for this reason, because somebody says we can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. So when you're talking about those wide receiver threes and when was the last time anybody did anything at that position, Cordero Patterson had 52 catches in 2016 as the third wide receiver behind Diggs and Thielen. And he was a bubble screen guy for the most part. There were only a handful of games where he did anything down the field. And that was still an effective role for him. But after that, you, you're right about Jarius Wright that he only had 17 catches, I think, that year in 2017. It just was that 15 of them were big. And he, in the playoffs, really came up huge for the Vikings in the, in the Minneapolis Miracle game. But aside from that, they didn't use him enough. And then it was Laquan Treadwell, Laquan Treadwell. This year it was BC Johnson. I mean, these are players who are just flat out not a threat at all. And this is where I think that if the Vikings really pick apart with a microscope where things went wrong for their offense, which was good, but it was not good enough to carry them to the playoffs with a bad defense. And it was not a championship level or, or like deep in the playoff run type of level offense, even if they had had a good defense this year. And I think that at some point you have to look at Where is it going wrong for us? Everyone knows it's going wrong for the guard position. That's pretty obvious. And no one would ever say, hey, don't draft an offensive lineman with 14 or or just leave Dakota Dozier in there. No one would ever say that. You'd look to improve that in free agency in this case. But I think what they're missing is when you get to third down and long, everyone knows you want to throw to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. That is not a surprise. Remember when they were playing the Bucs, uh, you, you saw um, Kirk Cousins look toward Tyler Conklin a couple of times on third downs, which nice plays by Tyler Conklin, but that's not a model. That's a thing that happened in one game that would be nice you know, to get an extra contribution. But when you have three or you have four of these guys, they're the ones who are often counted upon when the other team is doing everything they can to slow down your top guys. And our friend Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus did a study on this about the playoffs and which receivers have the biggest impact on winning games. And number two, number three had bigger impacts than number one wide receivers because that's the other team's main goal. And when you play Detroit in the middle of the season, they're going to play their system against your system and see what happens. When it's the playoffs, they're giving everything they have to game plan for you. And that's where, and in the big games, we see this too against good defenses. That's where the good defenses often find ways to at least slow down your top receivers and you need someone else to step up. I'll give you an example that comes to mind for me. New Orleans, 2018, they have a, I think, fourth down that they go for. And Kirk Cousins targets Laquan Treadwell and it bounces off his hands. It's like Laquan Treadwell was the right read and he was fairly open, but he's just not any good. And if you have Devontae Smith, who is, like you mentioned, a technician, knows how to get open, catches everything. I'm not saying he's a perfect prospect. Otherwise, he'd be at the very top. But if you're comparing what type of value this can give to you and can change your offense from being very one-dimensional, it's got to be run the ball and play action, hit deep shots, or you're just not winning that day. Well, you've got to have more than that. And this system does run out of three wide receivers. Also, if Kyle Rudolph's not coming back, well, I don't want Tyler Conklin on the field all the time. I would prefer to have someone who is unstoppable because they're so good. Uh, and, And one last point on this. Adam Thielen is not young either. 
by the way. He is into his 30s now, and there needs to be some thought of how much longer does this last for him being an elite receiver, and some thought, too, of if he gets hurt again, do you want BC Johnson? Do you want Chad Beebe being that guy to fill in? Do you even want a cheap free agent that didn't work with Tajay Sharp? Being a dangerous offense, a versatile offense, having a bunch of different guys who can make plays is the best way to be great at this. And that doesn't mean ignore the guard. That means get the guard in free agency. But from those, all of those perspectives, I think if the Vikings brass says it's time to lean into what we are the best at, which right now is offense, then that's what you do. But circling all the way back to the beginning, no, I don't think they'll do it. Yeah, I tried to get Clint Kubiak to admit this when he had his opening press conference. I said, yeah, you're run first, Clint. Well, you drafted Justin Jefferson, who got 1,400 yards, set the rookie record. How does that change your plan? And he, of course, didn't give me anything because he's smart and media trained. Um, I have so many addendums that I want to add on to what you said. No, number one, how many times have the Vikings whiffed? on trying to find this wide receiver three, like the fact that Chad Beebe almost stands like above some of their, their past attempts. Like when they brought in Michael Floyd, he was supposed to be, you know, the number three guy. And like, the only thing I remember Michael Floyd for is dropping a touchdown in the miracle game. Um, Kendall Wright didn't even make the team. He's on in the CFL. Now Tajay Sharp didn't have a catch. Tajay Sharp was their wide receiver two until they drafted Justin Jefferson. Like that's how badly they've kind of misjudged the wide receiver three position. Um, but the fact that the offense, you mentioned the offense wasn't as good as maybe some people thought. And I'm in full agreement that if you're basing it on yards, you're, you're cherry picking that that's just choosing like the best possible lens to view the offense through because they were eighth in DVOA. They were 10th in points per drive. They were 18th in scoring percentage, and I think they were 11th in points. So, okay, your top third offense, you're on like the bottom of the top third. I'll give you that. There's plenty of room to ascend if arguably you weren't even in the top 10. And for a second straight year, the Vikings are such an outlier in the, the, the way they don't use three wide receivers. Like Stefanski did it, you know, under Kubiak's thumb, and then Kubiak did it himself. They're like, like the difference between the Vikings and the 31st uh, most team that uses three wide receivers is like the difference between 31 and 15. It's like a crazy drop off. Uh, not even Kevin Stefanski uh, used as few three wide receiver sets as the Vikings. So when you look at what you've done the last two years, okay, combined, you went 17 and 15 in two years with that system maybe you need to, to shake things up. Um, the problem is, I don't, I don't know if Clint Kubiak's the one to do that. I think that his dad's system is sort of a safety net. So we'll see what kind of influence that he can bring. Maybe he will want to be more aggressive. And maybe Mike Zimmer even wants to be more aggressive. Um, but it did feel like, and you alluded to this, when the Vikings were at their best, they were getting yards on first down. They were setting up sort of second and manageable, and then they could distribute more easily. They could go to... Conklin they could go to CJ Ham in the flat if they wanted to and they would distribute the ball well but when you only have two wide receivers that are downfield threats you know it's it's going to be hard to convert um on second and 10 even which they they seem to think that running the ball was a better option there 
which is bonkers to me. Um, you can't count on Tyler Conklin to pick up third and 12s or even third and eights. That's not as likely. And don't you feel like we were kind of sold a bill of goods on Irv Smith? Like we were told that he was going to be this almost wide receiver like impact. He was going to be in the slot. He was going to be outside. He was going to line up in the backfield. I don't think that's happened as much. I think he's, he's still a blocker so much of the time. Um, not to the extent of Kyle Rudolph, as he would like us all to know, but um, I don't feel like they've even unlocked that capability as much and turned Irv Smith into a wide receiver three type option. So I, I disagree with the conservative nature of their approach last season. And I'm still kind of befuddled as to whether it's going to be any better this year with, uh, with Clint Kubiak. Cause I think he's going to kind of bend to Zimmer's will. And I think Zimmer loves the system as he's let us know. Hey, everyone who listens to the show knows that I am an old school gamer. So if you're still playing the games from the 90s, trust me, you're going to want to check out the new gear from Soda Stick, football, hockey, and a Minnesota logo in the form of another famous video game logo. I'll just say that. If you use the promo code Purple Insider, you can get free shipping. Go to SodaStick.com to check out the old school gaming designs on shirts, hoodies. All their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota. That is SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Remember, we still have our giveaway going on with SodaStick, a $50 gift card. All you need to do is, if you have not signed up for the Purple Insider newsletter yet, go to purpleinsider.substack.com and you're automatically entered. And if you have already subscribed to Purple Insider, respond to any Purple Insider email just with the word video games. That's all you have to do, and you're entered to win a $50 gift card from SodaStick. Now, here's uh, some precedent for the possibility of this happening would be eventually they did get to a point where they said, we need to start drafting offensive linemen higher because we can't just fill all these spots with Joe Berger's and Nick Easton's where we get lucky and the guy's halfway decent. So we need to draft Brian O'Neill in the second round, Garrett Bradbury in the first, which hasn't worked out so far, but at least it showed the process of realizing this is a problem and you need to solve it with higher draft picks. And then Ezra Cleveland, that might point to the possibility of they recognized that this third wide receiver was important, but they just kept trying to fill it by not spending any money or resources on it, which is understandable to some extent because you don't have unlimited cap space and you don't have unlimited draft picks. Otherwise they would have picked receivers at the top instead of Stacy Coley and Rodney Adams and KJ Osborne and all these other guys who are not Stefan Diggs. And so that might point to at least the wheels turning in their mind of, yeah, the numbers are pointing to this thing being important. And even if right away, Devontae Smith does not catch 70 balls and 10 touchdowns, if he catches 40 as a rookie, and then he turns out to be a long-term option next to Justin Jefferson, I mean, that is got you set up for if there's another quarterback or if you extend Kirk Cousins, then you could have two very good wide receivers on rookie contracts. And I think about the other offenses that have been great, not okay, not 11th, not 18th in scoring percentage, but legitimately dangerous with this very system. And the San Francisco 49ers also did not use three wide receivers all the time. Yet they drafted Debo Samuel with a high draft pick. They paid for Emmanuel Sanders. Like they brought in people who were extra weapons 
weapons to just give Jimmy Garoppolo more options. The same thing goes for the Los Angeles Rams, where suddenly Jared Goff is a different player when he has three wide receivers to work with when they had Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and Robert Woods, to then Josh Reynolds is his next best guy. And all of a sudden, he is a, a different quarterback at that point. And even Kirk Cousins in Washington, 2016, their number three wide receiver is Jamison Crowder, who was good. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he got a second contract worth like 10 million bucks a year, a, a good player and a dangerous player. And that to me is missing just as much or harming your offense just as much as the guard position. Uh, and I know that that drives some people crazy because they want this improved offensive line. And, and so I think you can thread the needle and try to do all of these things. You mentioned in the piece that you wrote for your debut article at Purple Insider, um, you wrote about how you can't ignore the guard position. Absolutely true. And also spreading out the cap space that you create to multiple different players. And I think you make a great point there where, you know, I've made the argument for Brandon Sheriff, like maybe, you know, you put some eggs in that basket finally and really fill that guard position. But even if you signed three guards or something that were cheap and you let them battle it out, somebody has to be better than Dakota Dozier. Um, I, I just think that, you know, a, a major issue with them, and you look at the numbers and it backs this up, was when you got to third down, the majority of Kirk Cousins lost yardage to sacks came on third down, which is, you know, makes sense because that's when they're really going after you. Uh, if you have people open and more options, it helps you just as much as having good blocking. And Cousins, most of his pressure came when holding onto the ball for more than three seconds. Well, we know he's going to go through his reads. And if someone's open, he's going to throw the ball. It's just that if you're going through your reads, he would never find Kyle Rudolph open and he never trusted that. So can you get someone with separation ability that Kirk Cousins will trust and then try to take this to the next level? I think you make a great point that you don't hang a banner for being 11th in offense like they they don't give you rings for that like you need to be better the next best team right above the Vikings in scoring was the Las Vegas Raiders anybody want to trade offenses with the Raiders I mean like no they were good but they weren't great did anybody look at the Raiders and say they're all set on offense they're good no I don't think so so when you kind of look yourself in the mirror a little bit um you think, well, what can increase the amount of points that you produce and how dangerous you can be? And I think that that's it. And even if people want to use the Kansas City example to back up the offensive line point, Kansas City also didn't get production out of their third and fourth wide receivers like they did last year when they overcame the same problem. They were getting their tail whipped on the offensive line in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. And Sammy Watkins comes and makes a play. Well, he didn't do that this time. He was hurt pretty much all year. McCole Hardman's just not good. And so they relied on two wide receivers for the whole season. And what happened in the Super Bowl, they were able to take away Tyreek Hill down the field and take away Travis Kelsey. I, I, I think that this is a trend in the league that the Vikings need to hook themselves to, even if they don't go 11 personnel all the time. Yeah, you mentioned the Rams, and I know the Rams weren't awesome last year. Goff was was pretty mediocre and got traded, so not the gold standard for offense. But if you watch the Rams, sometimes McVay just tosses in like a line change. Like, okay, bring off Cup, bring off uh, Henderson. All right, let's put on Everett and Reynolds and, uh, and Akers. Like, they would just take all their playmakers off the field, 
and replace them and make the defense sort of readjust and reacclimate to what they were seeing. And like what you mentioned, the Chiefs, when they're at their best, they're getting Demarcus Robinson involved. They're getting Byron Pringle involved. Look at the Packers. Instead of drafting a wide receiver too, and I'm actually in the camp where I don't know if that's a valid reason to pin the NFC Championship game loss on on Green Bay that they didn't take a wide receiver two in the draft. I, I just, I can't get on board with that when they're the number one offense in football. I mean, in aggregate, Lazard and, and MVS were pretty solid for them. They had like 1200 combined yards. So they spread the ball around. Well, they had, you know, a, sort of a nameless tight end group and they had three running backs. Um, the Vikings like to amass stats. I mean, with the way they run things and it's fun. It's fun to, to watch Justin Jefferson get 1,400 yards and Adam Thielen pile up the 1,000-yard seasons and Dalvin Cook, you know, threatening 1,500 yards and, and maybe even 2,000 someday if he stays healthy. That's fun. That, that, that's great, but it also makes you a little bit predictable, a little bit one-dimensional. And I guess my, my fear would be, okay, if, are we, if we're going to drop back more, which I think you need to do to win, I think the offensive line is going to be a problem because there is a there is a strong correlation to Kirk Cousins throwing more and Kirk Cousins struggling more, um, usually because of interior pressure. So Dakota Dozier, worst pass blocking guard in football by a pretty long shot. Garrett Bradbury, one of the worst pass blocking centers in football. Um, whatever kind of piecemeal you had at right guard, I imagine that those four bodies in tandem were also probably toward the bottom. So. I think that it's troubling without a second round pick as to how you're going to like add a weapon to the offense and fix the offensive line. But I think using a combination of free agency, maybe take one good stab in the draft, try to get a couple new bodies in there where you can get Kirk Cousins some, some realistic protection because, you know, the Vikings haven't had a lot of continuity on the interior ever. I mean, not with cousins, not with anybody. They haven't had the same, two guards getting the majority of starts in back-to-back years since 2012 and 13. I mean, it's not that hard to have two guards on your team for back-to-back years. And yet the Vikings have made it extremely difficult. So um, we'll see what happens if they take Devonte Smith. I mean, that's your signal, right? That tells you that they're serious about this. And even if they took a wide receiver in the third round, mm-hmm. I think that tells you they're more serious about this. The draft is going to be a pretty big tell as to what Clint Kubiak is going to be running this year. I totally agree. And also I think of it this way when it comes to the wide receiver three is it might be a signal, a little bit of how much do you want to win this year in 2021? Because I know that everyone wants an offensive lineman, but how often do we see offensive linemen be immediately dominant? Now, Tristan Wirfs was for sure. Jedrick Wills did a very good job. Uh, Makai Becton looked like he could play. So yeah, I mean, it does happen, but there's also the Andrew Thomases of the world that really struggle right off the bat. And there's Ezra Cleveland, who a player was out of position and needed development. Brian O'Neill wasn't ready right away wide receivers can be ready right away. I just saw one in Justin Jefferson. They can bust too, uh, for sure. But, you know, guys who are route technicians and play for complicated offenses and are put in a position where Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are the main attractions already, 
that person can contribute a lot of value to you right away and in the long term. Whereas I think that uh, if you draft a guard, if you draft a tackle, likely you're getting replacement level play to start unless the guy is an absolute monster and kind of an outlier. But historically, you're probably at looking at a couple of years of development before they're really good, like Brian O'Neill has become for the Vikings or like Ezra Cleveland could become, or even I'd leave the door open to Garrett Bradbury improving. Uh, and I think actually that if you were able to spread it out, throw a little more quick game, get a little more hand, you know, ball in the hands of playmakers, less deep dropbacks. I think that helps Garrett Bradbury. I think every, I think the offensive line is improved by just, tweaking the philosophy a little bit, even by keeping the same system. Um, but I also, you know, I look at only two positions for sort of win now ish, which would be defensive end. And you see those guys come in and make a difference right away and wide receiver. Uh, so let me ask you this where after Daniel Jeremiah, one of the most plugged in mock drafters there is after Daniel Jeremiah takes a wide receiver for the Vikings at 14, what are your odds on how um, likely each position is? Or, or I would say rank them of what is number one, two, three, four for the Vikings most likely as we stand here today with a lot of time to go before the draft, most likely positions to be taken. At 14? At 14. Okay. I don't think wide receiver is number one. No, I don't. I hate, I, I hate to say it. Um Honestly, un unless you're going to, you know, set up for the future and get a quarterback, unless you're going to go get Trey Lance, which would be thrilling. And I, I, I don't fully endorse that move or, or a quarterback trade up maybe this, this year. We'll see. Depends how aggressive they would want to be. At any rate, unless you're going to do that, I'd be okay trying to trade back in the first and get a second. Because I think second round picks are crazy valuable. Mm -hmm. Because you think about getting most of the, most of the second round picks the Vikings have taken in recent years have been really good. Like yep. Mackenzie Alexander, quality starter. Brian O'Neill going to get extended as a tackle. That's huge. Eric Kendricks, all pro. The second round you can find stars and you get them cheap, cheap, cheap for four years. So I love second round picks. Um, I'd love to get one back. And if you can't do that with some trading or finagling, you know, in, in free agency or thereafter, I, I would maybe do the unsexy thing and trade back. So what position would I take with that first pick? Let's say it's in the late teens, early 20s. It would be out of character, but I think, I think you go defensive line. I mean, the Vikings don't tend to take defensive line early. Uh, the one time they took one in the first two days of the draft, it was Daniil Hunter, you know, in, in the, in the Zimmer era. Uh, and that worked out pretty well, but usually they will wait till the fourth round. I think they got to do some things differently. Like you got to take a guard in the first two days. They haven't done that in like 15 years. Um, so I'm also in the camp of uh, finding a safety. Like if you had, if you went defensive line safety and guard, in your first three picks, I think that that fills needs um, and don't force it. You know, is sometimes you got to go BPA, but not, those would all be out of character for the Vikings. And I think they should do all of them. So the, um, the, that the wasn't best, a very good pie chart. The best. Uh, now we'll leave that to Courtney on Thursday when she joins the both of us for a little round table. Um, she is the pie chart master. Well, so if I'm ranking them most likely 
to least likely. I'm starting with the defensive line for sure. Um, Christian Barmore makes a ton of sense for them, especially in a trade back type of situation. And there are multiple defensive ends that have that mold this ball of clay like Quiddy Pay. Am I right? Uh, or Gregory Russo, or there's yeah. you know a bunch of other type of names that come up for potential first rounders. It kind of depends on just which one they think would fit their system. I think Quiddy Pay is a perfect fit for them because he's similar in his body type to Everson Griffin, but you know, either way, defensive line is at the very top. And then offensive line is probably after that for most likely. And then I would put wide receiver right after that. Maybe even because, and I don't think that they care what we think, but I think about who's above the decision makers and whether there would be some pressure if the Wilfs sort of heard the noise a, a little bit. I, I Again, they're not, if they were listening to us, they would have done this years ago, <laughs> gotten a wide receiver three, but maybe just even their own observations of our offense is good. And how can we be great on offense and, and I don't think that they come down to the room and say, you have to draft this guy or, or that guy, but they're also the ones who sign the checks. And if that was kind of the goal, look, we need to have a great offense. By the way, there's uh, fans coming back to these stadiums next year, and we would love to be one of the most exciting teams in the NFL. Just saying. There's always that possibility, that door that I would leave open, that behind the scenes, it's quietly whispered, we'd really like somebody to be exciting here. Sign your defensive ends in free agency, sign your guards in free agency, but let's get somebody that people are going to want to come in the door to watch play. So I, was, I would still put that in the top five. And then I agree, safety, cornerback is still in the mix. It's not the craziest draft pick. And for sure, you know, for the first time in a long time, Sam, I don't know which way they'll go. I really don't. At this point, after free agency, we'll have a much better idea. But last year, I thought we we are locked into the direction they're going. They are going wide receiver and corner, and it, I'll bet my home on it. And, and even the year before, offensive line, it was clear that they needed to improve. And a lot of people were mocking Garrett Bradbury to the Vikings. This year, it's all over the place, and I think it's one of the things that makes this most fascinating. Well, as many times as Rick Spielman wants to insist that this is the strategy, they are not a true best player available drafting team. They yeah. are a draft for need kind yes. of team, especially yes. in the early rounds. Like you don't take Garrett Bradbury in the first round, unless you're trying to fill a very specific need, which they were, they thought they were extremely close to, to, you know, winning a, winning a title. And they thought that that was a missing piece for them. One more interior lineman. And you know that it kicked Pat Elfline into a bad spot and, and the ripple effect didn't work out there. But um, I think we predicted that move too. Like we've kind of had our finger on the pulse most years. The only pick that I can think of that kind of threw me was the Mike Hughes pick, you know, which was kind of a luxury at the time. Yeah. And same with Mackenzie Alexander. They tend to stray when it's a cornerback, which again, I wrote in my piece today. I don't think you're set at corner either. Like you, you've got, I think, three bodies there that you can consider starters, but one of them is Mike Hughes coming off multiple neck injuries. One of them is Cam Dantzler, who's good, but had multiple injuries as a rookie, needs to add weight. And then Jeff Gladney, who can play inside outside, but needs to get a lot better in pass protection. So I, I think that corner needs to be on the table as well. Um, I'm really compelled though, by the trade back idea, because 
it is another really top heavy wide receiver draft. You've got like eight to 10 that could go in the top 60. So if you do trade back into the second round, you're probably going to have value there that's available for you. Um, and that allows you, I think, maybe to capitalize on defensive line, which is maybe a little more top heavy in the first round. I think Spielman's got to be working the phones. I think you got to get that second round pick back. The Ngakwe trade strikes again. Um, <laughs> it, it still is going to, I think, I think the Vikings are going to be ruining that one for a while, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a really compelling free agency period because how creative are they going to get? Like, are they going to try to fill needs legitimately in free agency or, or wait until the draft where you can get guys, you know, obviously at cost and, and for multiple years. Vikings have a lot more needs than they usually do. Big needed safety, um, probably need a, uh, I guess they don't necessarily need a third linebacker, but you need two or three defensive linemen. You need interior line help. Um, they, they have a lot of needs and it's going to be compelling to see which way they go. Hey, if you've been listening to the show lately, you've been hearing about Scout Logistics. And trust me, I've been trying to get them to come out with a line of Vikings merch or something because my listeners are hearing their message all the time now. Maybe we can get them to partner with Soda Stick for the draft in those Scout Logistics scouting reports. Anyway, Scout Logistics joined up with us here at Purple Insider because they enjoy the show and they wanted to get behind us. So if you have a business with shipping needs, then you're going to want to join up with them. Scout Logistics has a 99% delivery rate. They know exactly how to handle perishable goods and increase shelf life. They also ship non-perishable, oversized, fragile goods with the utmost care. You can contact them and see why North America's largest shippers and receivers have chosen Scout Logistics at 855-217-2688. That's 855-217-2688, extension 232, or at scoutlogistics.com. The only thing that... The would totally blow you away or shock you is if they went like linebacker or tight end. If they went linebacker, we would already know why, because that means Anthony Barr's not here if they're going linebacker. And if Anthony Barr were to be let go, the minute he was let go, we would know, okay, a linebacker's being picked. We just don't know where, unless Eric Wilson was being brought back. But even then, Troy Dye didn't show any signs of being a guy for the future. Um, so you would be talking about Micah Parsons at that point, probably. Um, so that that's the thing too, is that so much can change here. I mean, if they sign Curtis Samuel to be their number three wide receiver, then Devonte Smith ends up off the table at that point. But you make a great point about drafting for need. And yes, it worked out with Justin Jefferson. That would have been also best player available. I think mm -hmm. I remember being totally stunned at that point. That was one where we knew right away it was a great pick and we're not super shocked at all that it turned out to be a great pick. This guy dominated at LSU and took that team to a national championship, showed up the biggest on the biggest stage and then murdered the combine. It's like, I don't know what more boxes you need him to check off Philadelphia, but that was, that was kind of an easy one to pick because it was so clearly the best player on the board this time there is the option of just going with the best prospect because you do have so many needs and it's sort of revealing of how much work has to be done between now and the time that they possibly take the field at OTAs. So I am. Well, I, what if they, what if they make a couple surprise cuts too? Like that only makes it murkier. I mean, if you actually sort of weaken your roster by letting go of Riley reef and maybe Anthony Barr, 
is, you know, gets thrown off by like getting asked to take a pay cut and says, nope, just cut me. And they can't figure something out. Well, then suddenly you're, you're kind of stuck there at two more positions. And that really makes it, that gives you five, I'd say legitimate needs to find starters on this roster. And just to put a bow on the whole thing that when you look at all those needs, most of them exist on the defensive side, which makes me think you try to fill spots with okay players. If you can with cheap, okay players, you listed a bunch of them in your article. And then you try to draft a difference maker somewhere, whether it's on offense or defense, whatever you're trying to draft one difference maker, but the, case to do it on the offensive side is that you probably can't fill all those spots on the defensive side. So if you want to win something, you can look at other teams around the league that made the playoffs without great defenses, but can you get to average on defense and great on offense to be a real contender? I think that that is realistic for this team and exciting to think about an offense for the first time since what? I mean, 2009, that could really be a next level type of offense. That to me does not feel so far out. Everything else does. If you were to tell me, oh, they have the top five defense next year. I'd be like, how, what? No way, right? Even with Hunter coming back, even with Pierce coming back, come on, top five, they've got so far to go. But if you told me that they added one dynamic playmaker and they were a top five offense, I'd be like, yeah, I could see it. Yeah, well, if the offense you know, help the defense out a little more too by um, being more effective, not turning the ball over, just scoring more points where last year, if they had just gotten to like 31, you know, instead of 27 in a number of games, they, they would have been in more games. Like it seemed like they were settling for the high twenties. We're good. We're good. We're top 10 or 11th or whatever. When I think they could have been so much more. Um, but the uh, they're kind of, they could take the Minnesota twins approach, right? The twins were like, we don't want to pay to fill out the entire pitching staff. So we'll just go bargain hunting for rich Hill and Homer Bailey, but we're going to double down on offense and sign Josh Donaldson. Mm -hmm. Oh, next year we're going to sign in Drelton Simmons. um, Cause we don't want to have to pay for pitching. So we'll just try to score more runs than you Vikings could try to do that on offense because they have more, I think solidified, particularly with the skill positions uh, then on defense where you've got weaknesses pretty much at every level. Can I ask you something before we wrap up? It's, sure. a, it's a stupid question, but what is the po- uh, off season thing that you are the least interested or you care least about? Like this is the, the most is to me, what you do to make sure this offense goes to another level. And it might not be, Oh, well, they can just implement this, passing thing that they because that's probably not going to happen so it's really personnel and i think all with the nfl like gary kubiak's system works did you have the personnel to be a top five offense last year no could you this year if you want to you can't um but what thing that is being talked about does not interest you at all where you're just like nah, i don't know i'm out i'm out on that i'll give you two just top of head i don't care about paul gunther I don't care about <laughs> Paul Gunther's role unless they're going to ask him Sorry, to call Paul. unless they're going to ask him to call plays like he's brought in as like a play calling specialist um which I think a lot of Raiders fans would caution Vikings fans don't go there even though Gunther was pretty good when he was uh working Zimmer's system in Cincinnati I don't care about Paul Gunther just like I didn't really care about Dom Capers either 
Um, I also don't really care to speculate about what, what do they do to replace Kyle Rudolph? I think they're fine. I think they're okay with Irv Smith, Tyler Conklin, and Brandon Dillon, question mark, and probably like a sixth round pick to add to the mix as well. I think they're going to be okay. Like the, the, the numbers in the final four weeks of the year were the best at tight end they had all season without Kyle Rudolph. And Kyle Rudolph just wasn't that effective. So I don't really care about that storyline either. There, there's more pressing matters in my mind. I think I want to pick a backup quarterback because every year it comes up. Should they improve from Sean Mannion? Like, yeah, they're probably not going to. That's uh, unless it's draft pick, but not a seventh round draft pick. That's Nate Stanley. It would have to be third round or higher. You've got my interest a little bit, but if it's anything other than that, Sean Mannion is fine. He's the best you're going to do for 800,000 bucks. And that's the end of the story. You don't have endless cap space to spend $7 million on a backup quarterback. Like the Raiders did with um, Marcus Mariota. So it's all right. You could Sean Mannion's fine. You can have, yeah. Why, why would you, why would you just change bodies just for the sake of it? Unless you're going to get a Cadillac, like a Cadillac backup, like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Otherwise there's no sense in getting someone new who doesn't know the system or maybe doesn't understand Kirk cousins as well. Mannion is exactly what the Vikings want. He he's vanilla. He's not really chasing after the job. He works really hard and he's been there for a couple of years and Kirk likes him. Like he's everything the Vikings want in their backup. Not all teams, but the Vikings, Mannion is perfect and he's cheap. I also think that any conversation about developmental quarterbacks is just like a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Like the, if somebody's not a first round draft pick or a highly paid uh, quarterback that's already established, that is needle in a haystack for anybody who will be anything. Remember when it was, I think Mike McCarthy, he was asked after Aaron Rodgers went down, like, would you sign Colin Kaepernick? He was like, oh, we've been developing Brett Hundley for years. Okay. How dare you? It's like, yeah, sure you have. I mean, like this is not an NFL quarterback. This is a starter. So they usually aren't. If you're drafting, you know, I know like Kurt Warner one time did this thing, but there's just not too many of those guys who ever become the starter. So I'm not worried about why aren't they developing someone instead of Mannion? And the, the other thing that's funny too, is that Mannion has been around a long time and never, ever gets to play. He played the week 17 game with all backups. That's not a fair assessment. That was playing a preseason team against the starting Chicago bear team. But I mean, we don't, no, other than watching him in training camp where he's pretty good in training camp, we don't actually know if he could win a game or two. Like, I think he knows the offense and the system well enough to just operate it. And he has a strong enough arm to hit a couple of shots down the field. He could, he's just like Sean Hill with no opportunity, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't get the sense that he could pull a Keenum out of his hat. Oh, I definitely not. No. Keenum just had more intangibles. Um, Mannion could like you said, be a Sean Hill and run. He could, he's, he's a game manager in, in yes. the truest sense, but there's really no less compelling uh, position battle than Vikings third string, fourth string quarterbacks in training camp every year. It It's UDFAs, maybe a seventh round pick in Nate Stanley. That That's never really uh, high on my priority list. I love how the first day for you on the job at Purple Insider, Daniel Jeremiah just took some steroids and shot it in the arm of this show 
by mock drafting Devonte Smith. So a very enjoyable first run through. Thanks, here. Daniel. Sam, not our first time, obviously broadcasting together. We did uh, Friday Purple on WCCO all the time. So hopefully we'll keep doing that. But uh, great to have you as part of the crew now, Sam. So we'll look forward to you and I and Courtney getting together and going forward there um, on Thursday. And all sorts of new content at purpleinsider.substack.com. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Matthew. And I know when you mix in the music later, you're going to give me some epic like walk-up music. I assume I'm going to have my, my theme song. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. What was the TI song that Joe Maurer used? I'll, I'll, I'll use that for you. Yeah, it's escaping me right now, but I could hum it for you. I won't, but I, I <laughs> promise you I know it.